Well, hey, everybody. So good to be back here today. Who day? What? Do you guys even care who wins? There we go. I almost thought I was like back in Kansas City, man. That was like, that was, that was, that was hurting my heart. Well, hey, it is great to be back with y'all this week. My name's Ryan. I'm one of the pastors here on staff. And uh, in case you're wondering, that's where I, I got to go to the game last week. Like, you want to talk about, like, it was kind of like, we got a picture, kind of show. We got, there we go, me and my boy in the Ixter, and yeah, in the background, the Bengals celebrating. I'll tell you what, it was kind of like, um, like a, I almost felt like this is what heaven's going to be like. <laughs> There was all these loud, lewd, annoying, belligerent people mocking us for being on the right team. And uh, kind of like in life, like people just mock you for loving Jesus. And then at the end, when the gavel dropped, it was like crickets. <laughs> They're all walking around out there crying to the place where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. And the Bengals were inside. Bengals fans were inside just... Uh, reveling, and uh, it was just wonderful. So, um, yeah, want to encourage y'all, if, you're, if you want to, we're going to party like it's 1989 next week. Uh, we're uh, we're going to have, have a uh, big game party. I don't want uh, Roger Goodell to come after me. It's, I guess we have to call it a big game because for copyright stuff, but we're going to have a party here, and it's going to be lots of fun, and We'll have a place for the serious football watchers and then like the people that just want to hang out and eat all the food and talk about the game and just talk about other things, we'll have a place for them. So, so, so if you're like, man, I want to come, I don't want to be distracted. I'm a guy when I'm watching this, like I want to watch it with people that aren't talking about like HGTV, all right, or that aren't talking about like what's going on like in the world or whatever, or like the coronavirus. Like I want to watch the game. So if you're one of those people, come sit with me. All right, so a couple other things. Um, I want to thank everyone. We had like 30-something people sign up for the prayer canopy uh, yesterday. That's where we did 24 hours of prayer. Our church covered 24 hours of prayer um, just over our city, over stuff that's happening in this region, the greater Cincinnati area, for every neighborhood, uh, northern Kentucky, Cincinnati, and it was really great. I got up and, um, <clears throat> from 6 to 7, and it was really sweet. So if you're wondering, I don't know how I could pray for an hour. Well, if that's you, first of all, you totally can. They actually give you a guide to pray through. I mean, I couldn't even get through the thing. There was just so much different things to pray and just spend time with God. So if you're thinking about it, it'd be a great thing. We're going to start doing this monthly. Our church is going to sign up. So I just want to thank those of you that did it. Because like, if we want to see a move of God, if we want to see a move of God on the earth in our time, we got to pray. we got to seek him. It's not something we can conjure up, not something we can pull off, not something... We can just hope for. It's something that, like, I believe atmospheres shift and change when we press into the presence of God together. And especially with people in our city. Like, there's, like, a lot of prophetic stuff that people have given about Cincinnati that I believe, like, in these, maybe not, I don't know if we're last days, but we're laster days than when uh, John, uh, John wrote his revelation. In these laster days, we want to see God come, and we want to see our culture change. We want to see the world change, and we want to be a huge part of it. So, Thank you for praying. And last couple housekeeping things. If you did not come on Wednesday, we had a house group 
house group connection night. This is kind of where we're transitioning what we're doing in our small groups and a lot of them, and then what we're also going to be doing as our disciple-making strategy going forward. So we've talked a lot about disciple-shifting, disciple-making, and so if you're wondering the importance of what we're going to be doing with house groups, it's going to be our most baseline strategy for making disciples that make disciples that make disciples. And really, that's what we're praying for. So if you did not um, get a chance to come on Wednesday or sign up, there's tables out there. There's some goodies, and there'll be people leading those afterwards who would just love to say hi to you. And if you want to know which group to go to, and uh, you know, there's different dates, times, places, whatever works best for you and your family. So yeah. Great. Thank you, Jesus. Um, So we are in week five of our Things Can Change series, which is basically a survey of the book of Mark. The gospel of Mark is, if you look in the kind of how most of our Bibles, Bibles are written, it's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They say Mark was probably the first story told, the last one written. Chronologically, it's probably the first, but it's not, you know, they all have, have... we just weren't around back then, and they didn't take as good of notes, and they didn't have hard drives, and so a lot of stuff has, you know, been lost and broken, but we know Mark was a very complete uh, rendering of the sermons of Peter about the life and ministry of Jesus. So the summary of Mark can be in the first uh, chapter, Kairos. Kairos is kind of that time inside of time where the Holy Spirit's moving. I like how uh, Kate said it last week. It's kind of like when a rocket ship is descending back into orbit. It's not like that rocket ship has to come in at 5.02 p.m. No, that, but it does have a very specific time. If it doesn't catch it, it's curtains. And Mark is all about like immediacy, about responding to the work and the movement of the Holy Spirit, responding to Jesus Because really, there is a thing in our lives, friends, where a lot of us, if we don't make some immediate responses, it could be curtains. It's like Adam and Eve when when the Lord said, hey, don't do this because the day you eat that fruit, you'll surely die. And the serpent came and lied with that deceit and say, well, you won't surely die. You're not just going to croak today. It's not like it's poison. You're not going to eat it and that'll be it. But there's that time when we don't respond to the word of the Lord that it's the beginning of the end. Or maybe it's the end of the end. Or maybe as the doors once sing, this is the end, beautiful end, my friend. Like, you know, maybe that's what it is. And we don't ever know about responding to the Lord where we are in that timeline. But when these kairos is when God's speaking, when Jesus is talking, it's always time to respond. It's like, if you ever heard the adage, the one who waited to the 11th hour died at 10.30. That can happen to a lot of us. So I just ask you to come, Holy Spirit. I ask you to illumine our hearts today. I ask you to speak to us, to minister to everyone at the Florence Vineyard, Lord, people listening online. We got people, Lord, just um, tuning in from all over the world, so it seems, people reaching out saying that, that your truth is impacting people, that the worship, the beautiful worship here, Lord, the spirit of worship, the spirit of Jesus, the prayer are reaching people in the Philippines and South Africa and Europe, Lord, and Asia and Central America. We just thank you, Lord, that, um, Lord, that you're using this place, and I pray that you would continue to and that you would speak to me and through me and to all of us today. Amen. So... As we're, as we're talking about in Mark, Kate did a great job last week. Let's hear it for Kate Dirkholtz. 
I don't know. Kate's in Florida. So, uh, but she just did a great job. I got to listen on, um, to her message on Friday, and it just blessed me. It really blessed me as I shoveled ice. Dude, that sucked. <laughs> Anyone else just got like look in their driveway and just like want to cry or want to just quit or want to go back inside? Um, yeah, that was, um, or feel like you could cry after you were done because your body hurt and you're old and out of shape. That's me. So um, as, as we're talking about this series of, in, in the Gospel of Mark, um, we, we get a deep sense, if you're not seeing it, that movement and miracles and supernatural stuff is integral to the book of Mark. And I think one of the things that's laid waste to our culture in the last several hundred years, really the last you know, 300 years or 400 years, has been this chipping away from a spirit of rationalism. Anyone know like what like the age of reason was? John, Don, Rene Descartes, and all these guys. Like, I think, therefore, I am. The age of reason, the scientific method, empirical thought. There's been this thing that that I believe that the advancement of science has been great, but we've also seen a decrease and a decline in the church. Because do you know, in the first 1600 years of Christendom, that like the mystery of Christ, the presence of the Spirit, miracles. Do you know that stuff was never even debated? It was just, it was just par for the course, that people prayed, they expected stuff to happen, that people would lay hands on the sick and they expected people to get better, that they would even pray for the dead and sometimes people would come back to life. Like they believed in demonic forces, they believed in evil, they believed that there was more to this world than the things we can see, but somehow in the last 300 years, and I'm not one of those guys, I'm not against science, I think science already proves the stuff God has already has been showing us, right? I'm not against science. But it's almost like that the enemy's taken science and he's made it like this deity where a lot of the church, a lot of the church will even debate that whether the Holy Spirit still works today like he worked in the book of Acts, which to me is just ludicrous. It's just ludicrous. I went to Bible college and they, and like people would fight about this. And I'm like, if we don't have the Holy Spirit, we're like, we're sunk. That's, in a, in a sense, like I, I think to a lot of people, it's like the father Son in the Bible. Like there's a lot of Christians that operate as if there's the Father in heaven, there's the Son who died for our sins, and then there's the Bible, and that's all we need. No, it's the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And Jesus is the word of truth. So this, Jesus is this made flesh, but it's also the Spirit of Christ, and the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives in us. So I'm talking about the Holy Spirit today because the Holy Spirit is really important to the story of Mark. It's imperative. The Holy Spirit is the only thing, do you know if you're born again, the only thing that separates you from the person next to you on the plane or in the pew or at the boardroom, the only thing that makes us any different is if we have the Spirit of God or not. Because those who have the Spirit of God are the sons of God. Those who have the Spirit of God are the daughters of God. Those who don't, they're not yet the children of God. They're not the adopted children of God. And so, but I know in our church's movement history or our uh, church's affinity, the Vineyard Movement, that this stuff about the Holy Spirit hasn't been a theological issue. Like the Vineyard, we start off a lot of services, come Holy Spirit, we welcome you Holy Spirit. I know that and that's amazing and that's why I'm part of the Vineyard Movement, I love it. 
But I also look in my life and some of your lives and other people's lives a lot of times, but we don't operate daily as if the Holy Spirit is in us or with us or around us. And a lot of times we're blind to evil, we're blind to darkness, we're blind to challenges. And um, that's one of the best ploys of the enemy that I believe since the age of reason has been to get people, if he can get us not only to disagree about how much spiritual forces that there are, but maybe some people are like, man, I don't even believe there's a devil. There's a lot of, uh, there's Christians, there's a Barna survey done, I can't remember, it might have been 2014, where there was several, there were like when they, like Barna's this research company, and a lot of Christians don't believe in a literal heaven or hell. Or they don't believe in like a literal devil. And I'm talking about all this because if that's you, if that's you, um, not only things can change, but things need to change. Because one of the best moves of the enemy if you're fighting an enemy, it's a great move if he can get you to not be able to see him, but isn't it an even better move if he, if he is working all around you and get you to believe he doesn't exist? You think of like the, like the ascension of Hitler in World War II, was there was all this subterfuge and all this clandestine stuff, and there was these faux factories or these advancements and all these different things, but one, one of the things that Hitler did to explain like expand like the Third Reich was to get people believing there wasn't really a problem. Operating in the shadows and then poof, onto Poland, poof, onto Russia, poof, onto Austria, all these different things and he just disappears and they were overwhelmed. And it took several years till a lot of people believe, oh, not only does this exist, but this is a real problem and it's gonna take over the whole world if we don't get a hold of it and fight together. And that's what we have, friends, in our church, and our culture, like in America, and many of our families, that there is this enemy activity that's going on in our lives, and if we don't start taking it for what it is, it's at our front door. It's like in Genesis, it says, sin is crouching at your doorstep, it desires to master you. Like, listen, if it's not already mastering you in some capacity, it's waiting to. And so we see the work of Jesus in motion in Mark, and he's combating the forces of darkness. He's combating bad theology, bad ideology. He's combating bad people. He's combating evil spirits. He's combating bad things in the world, like illness and brokenness and hunger and disease and death. Like Jesus is all the bad in the world. He's like, bring it on. And he's going and he's calling it all out. And um, in, in Mark chapter 4, so Kate did Mark chapter 3 last week, a little bit into chapter 4. And the, Mark chapter 4, we're going to gloss over till the very end. It was just about parables. Jesus was teaching in parables. Jesus was teaching all day what we see in Mark 4 to the end of 4 and then into 5. We know Jesus was teaching all day. And, and we have these parables. These were some of his sermons. So it's like... We have sermons of Jesus, we have the life of Jesus, we have descriptions of Jesus, and then like the ministry of Jesus. And today, we're kind of covering all that. So if you'll turn with me to Mark chapter 4, verse 35, we're going to start there. It says, as evening came, after Mark 4, preaching all day, he said to his disciples, let's cross to the other side of the lake. 
or the Sea of Galilee where they were. So, the, so, Jesus, so they took Jesus in the boat and started out, leaving the crowds behind, although other boats followed. And soon a fierce storm came up. High waves were breaking into the boat. It began to fill with water. So the disciples, a lot of them are fishermen. They're kind of men of the sea. You know, they're, they're used to this sort of thing. But Jesus, what was Jesus doing? Sleeping in the back of the boat with his head on a cushion. And now this is not, this is not surprising to me. I don't know if any of you have ever had, had the privilege or the dubious uh, task to uh, preach and minister and pray for people for a long time. Like, I can tell you, it's exhausting. So if Jesus was preaching all day and ministering to people all day, like the dude was wiped, and we see it here. And uh, there was um, interesting, interesting research that I read probably 10 years ago, but they were talking about, because a lot of pastors, preachers, and priests will say they come home from services and they're just wiped out. They're tired. And I can tell you a lot of times, I'll go home, like a couple weeks ago, I went home, and I took like a three-hour nap. My wife's like, wake up. Wake up, wake up, like, you know, and I just couldn't wake up. I was so tired. I was so exhausted. And this, this research showed that, that they put all these, like, things where the people look like Ivan Drago, like all the suction cups and all the measuring things. Like, when he's, <laughs> like you know, when he's riding up the hill in, uh, like, in Rocky Chapter 4, all these different graphs and tests are going. And they found that an hour and a half of ministry and preaching is akin to about six to seven hours of hard labor, what it does to your body. So imagine Jesus was probably ministering a lot more than an hour and a half. So the dude's tired. And I love the response of the the disciples. The disciples woke him up shouting at him, Teacher, don't you care if we're going to drown? Don't you care if we're going to drown? Like the dude's just out there praying for lepers and people with uh, communicable diseases and healing the sick and feeding people, and they're like, you don't care if we're going to drown. Have you ever been in the fight of your life or in a really dark hour and you've asked God this question? God, don't you care if I get divorced? God, don't you care if I lose my job? God, don't you care if I die? God, don't you care if I beat cancer? God, don't you care if my kid leaves? Don't you care if they overdose? Don't you care if we lose this house? Don't you care if I lose this job? Don't you care if I go to jail? Are you sleeping on the job, Lord? I mean, I know I've been there. I go there so easy. I, I, I can see him move and do amazing stuff, and then the ball doesn't bounce my way. I'm like, Jesus, don't you care? Even this week, just been going through some stuff. You know, my son needs knee surgery, and just lots of things happening, and I'm just like, Lord, like, this is just so hard to figure out. Some of this stuff is just hard to figure out. Verse 39, when Jesus woke up, he rebuked the wind and, and, he, he rebuked the wind and said to the waves, silence, 
be still. Suddenly the wind stopped and there was a great calm. Imagine like dudes like, stop, like chill. And then he looked at them and said, why are you so afraid? Do you still not have any faith? They had just seen Jesus ministering all day. They'd been with him all the time. And Jesus is like, where is your faith? Do you really think after all that, I'm going to leave you? See, I'm going to tell you this, like, God, God's answer to our prayers, how he answers it, does not determine how he loves us or if he loves us. Because we see in part and know a part. A lot of times we expect and we want God and we demand God. And it's like, we're like, hey, if this storm doesn't stop, I mean, like, Jesus could have, could have quelled this myriad ways. Many ways. The storms in your life, what you're going through now or what you've been through recently or what you've been through in the past, like, just because God doesn't answer the prayer the way you wanted it, it does not mean he's not with you or doesn't care. It does not mean that he's not going to come through. It doesn't mean that he didn't come through. It doesn't. The disciples, listen to this. This is this part, as I, as I kind of processed through this the last couple weeks, the disciples were absolutely terrified. So they went from afraid to terrified. They said, who is this man? They asked each other. Even the wind and waves obey him. Like, think about that. They were afraid of the storm. How terrifying would it be to doubt the maker, the calmer of the storm? You want to talk about a kairos? You want to talk about an aha? The disciples have seen Jesus do a lot of things, but this, Jesus just upped it just a bit, and took control of the weather. The weather. Didn't have a satellite. Didn't have a raincoat. He had a boat that was flooding, and he just said, stop it. Are there things in your life where you're needlessly doubting him and his ability to come through? Because it's not a matter of can he or will he. It'll just be when he will or how he will. Have you ever seen the Holy Spirit move in a way that maybe frightened you? Have you ever been around something spiritual where you're like, uh, wasn't expecting that. I don't really have a grid for that. Or have you ever seen something like maybe scary, kind of that, you know, the cowardly lion thing. You're like, I do believe in spooks. I do believe in spooks. And you're just, you know, scared, scared spitless because of like the presence of darkness or the presence of spiritual stuff. That's, that's what's going on here. And I think that it's interesting, church, just something that I want to touch on just a little bit is I think that the lack of fear of God is a big issue in a lot of our lives. Like, they were terrified, and it changed them. And I'm not saying God wants us to walk around like this, and, but I think that there's something that if we don't fear God, um, I don't think we rightly know God. 
I don't, if you don't fear God, I don't know if you know God. One of my friends says to me several years ago, he said, I think what you have is not a whatever problem, but he said, I think you have a fear of God problem. He said, I don't think you fear God of the consequences of what this behavior could be. Or I don't think that you believe that he holds the outcome of this. And I think that there's a thing, and I'm not saying that this, like, I think that the disciples moved from, they were afraid of this storm. They were terrified when they saw what Jesus could do with the storm. And I think some of us, just that fear, that, that awesomeness, that, that awe, that we, we don't see it because, A, maybe we're blind to it or we're debating whether it's real or just we don't, don't believe it or we avoid it. We don't want to pray for an hour. If you don't want to pray for an hour, the chances are very low that you'll ever see God move in a way of power like he did here in the Bible. God, he doesn't force himself on anyone. Now, there'll be stuff in our lives that'll be really hard and really terrible, but I think like the stuff like the disciples got to see, like it's really important to lean in to God. It's really important to connect with Jesus. It's really important to pursue him. I think one of the things that Jesus is doing here is, is he's showing the disciples, and this is just a setup to the story. Listen, we're not even to the main point here. He's saying, I'm bringing God's kingdom in a way you haven't seen before. Now what are you going to do with it? So um, in Mark, we see Jesus moving all around. We see him going from this side of the lake to that. We see him in Tyre, Sidon, Galilee, Capernaum, back Jerusalem. We see Jesus all over the joint. So um, do we got a map? Do we got that picture of the map? So we see over here uh, Capernaum to uh, Gergesa or the Gerasene region was about an 80-mile round trip. So when Jesus finished up here, he said, let's go across there. That would take several hours in a boat back then because they didn't have engines. And it would take several hours. So he did an 80-mile round trip. So Jesus going there, he's going from one place, and then we see him going straight back to where he came from. And so let's go uh, to verse 1, chapter 5. It says, so they arrived at the other side of the lake in the region of the Gerasenes to the Decapolis. Decapolis was a Roman, uh, was a Greco-Roman occupied part, hence the name Decapolis. Uh, Gerasenes was the more Jewish, uh, Jewish Aramaic name, but it was more of a Roman Greco uh, dominated place. The Decapolis just means the 10 cities. So that it had that name means that they had more influence there, that it had, had a you know, Latin name. It says, when Jesus climbed in the boat, I mean, sorry, when Jesus climbed out of the boat, a man possessed by an evil spirit came out of the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the burial caves and could no longer be restrained, even with a chain. Whenever he was put into chains and shackles, as he often was, he snapped the chains from his wrist and smashed the shackles. There was no one strong enough to subdue him. Interesting that this man lived amongst the dead. He lived in a graveyard. People were horrified of him. I'm guessing at this point in time, like the Decapolis wasn't a hot tourist destination. 
with like the naked uh, demon-possessed Arnold Schwarzenegger running around, like the Hulk, basically running around. Um, you know, like that's your welcome wagon, because he's the one that met Jesus. So everyone that came into that town, this guy had some control there. And it says, day and night, he wandered amongst the burial caves in the hills, howling and cutting himself, himself with sharp stones. You know, interesting here, um, just about that, is like, if you've wondered, I, I know it's more of a common phenomena these days, but a lot of people cut. A lot of people self-injure. A lot of people hurt themselves. A lot of people do stuff um, for various reasons, but it's interesting that all this stuff like of the spiritual realm is kind of coming full circle now. That stuff is not, that's, that's not God's plan for people. That's not a Holy Spirit-inspired activity. People that are cutting, uh, mutilating, injuring, is um, there's, there's demonic forces at work. Whether you're demon-possessed, demon-oppressed, or there's generational stuff you're dealing with. There's spiritual stuff that people that are doing this are dealing with. And friends, like I'm not saying that you know, going to a counselor is wrong. I'm not saying taking a pill is wrong. But all this to say is there are certain things science can't accomplish. There's kind of a fourth dimension out there. We got this time-space thing that we quantify and we try to work in, but there are spiritual things sometimes going on, and so no matter how much medicine, no matter how much counseling, no matter how much time in the psych ward or mantras or whatever you do, if, you don't, if we don't address some of the spiritual problems in our world with spiritual, uh, with spiritual tactics, we can't be surprised when we don't get the victory we're looking for. So people that are struggling with cutting, people that hurt others, people that hurt themselves, people that just, no matter what they do, they can't quit drinking, or they can't quit self-gratifying, or, um, or, or they can't quit treating other people like garbage, they can't quit gambling. All these different things that sometimes we can't do because there's a spiritual force at work. There's this thing that runs deep and the enemy sinks his claws into our souls, a lot of times unbeknownst to us. We're born with stuff. Like, why do we do the stuff that grandpa so-and-so did? Or why is this in my family? Why is everyone, you know, like a child molester or a wife abuser? Or why is everyone hooked on drugs? Because there's a spiritual thing that many people for many generations have either been blind to or have just not taken seriously or just flat out didn't care. And a lot of the problems going on in our world and our lives that we just can't get victory over are because we're looking for natural solutions to spiritual problems. And I'm not saying that natural never comes into it. I'm not saying that you don't pray for a person who's been uh, demon-possessed, demon-oppressed, and then help them get right in their mind because that ravages a person's soul and mind and body after a long period of time. But a lot of times it's not the first move, but we treat it like it's the last and I think that's why the church in America is weak. I think that's why the church, the church in America is, um, is breaking down. I think that's why families are breaking down because we're in a spiritual battle and we're putting on physical band-aids. So this violence, anger, this rage, the rage in our culture, friends, is not 
there's a spirit, there's a spirit of rage. There's a spirit of lust. There's a spirit of death. There's a spirit of perversion. There's a spirit of division. There's a spirit of racism that exists in our world. And all the platitudes, all this other stuff is, is, is great, but it's never going to solve the problem unless we learn how to fight spiritual battles with spiritual weapons. And I believe there's a lot of people in our culture. I believe there's people in our families. Maybe there's people sitting in this room that I believe are demonized. So if you're a Christian, can you be demon-possessed? I don't think so, but I think you can't be demon-oppressed. I think also our spirit lives in our flesh. Our flesh can have all kinds of things attached to it that are demonic. There's things around us and in us that are demonic that, um, that we, when we dabble in them, it's no joke. Like some people come, like kids play with, like do you know the number, one of the number one things right now online, one of the fastest growing moves in the world is, is like Wiccan witchcraft, like white witch stuff. A school up in Lebanon, Ohio made the news. They have like a Satanist club and I love one of the things that Satanists, it says come to the Satanist club, you'll learn how to be compassionate. <laughs> like the worst guy ever is not compassionate, Okay. Like, like, like Satan, I don't know if he was ever known for his compassion. Hey, this is my buddy Satan. He's, he's gentle. Like, like, I just saw, like, be compassionate. Learn empathy. Really? The most selfish guy ever is empathic? Uh, you know, it just makes me laugh. But, like, people are interested. People know there's more than just what we can taste, touch, see, hear, feel, smell. And it's interesting that Jesus met this guy. Do you know Jesus came across the lake, I believe, for this one guy? And it's interesting that the storm popped up as Jesus is going into battle. Like the enemy, a lot of his plans are just to get us off plan. Do you know a lot of times like in your life when you're getting ready to go on vacation or maybe even when you're getting ready to go to church or maybe when you're praying or just all these different things that like you can have a great day and then boom, distractions come. Like why does that happen? Why do bad things happen to good people? It's because there's a real enemy out there and he wants to throw you off track. He wants to throw me off track. He hates us. He's not compassionate. He's not empathetic. He's not nice. He's not honest. He wants to throw us off track. So it's interesting that the disciples, like Jesus is like, Jesus is sleeping because he knows where he's going. God told him to get there. And they're like, don't you care if we die? And he's like, was that, that was never a question in my mind. Because the real battle was this dude no one else could stop. The real battle might, maybe you're the dude or the dudette that no one else can stop. I'm telling you today, this is your day. Jesus came across the lake. Jesus has come here. He wants to meet some of you where you are today. In your most broken place, your most dead place, your most horrible place, your most terrifying place, Jesus wants to meet you today. Jesus came across the lake for this guy. The one no one else could touch, the one who was terrorizing their town, Jesus is like, yeah, there's a new sheriff in town, homeboy. When Jesus was still some distance away, a man saw him, 
ran to meet him and bowed low before him. He said, with a shriek, he screamed, why are you interfering with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In the name of God, I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had already said to the spirit, come out of the man. Jesus demanded, what's your name? He said, my name is Legion, for we are many, and there are many of us inside of this man. Then the evil spirits begged him again and again not to send them to some distant place. There happened to be a large herd of pigs feeding on the hill, hillside nearby. Send us into those pigs, the spirit begged. Let us enter them. So Jesus gave them, gave them permission. I don't really understand all this. Then the evil spirits came out of the man, entered the pigs, and the entire herd of 2,000 pigs plunged down a cliff or a steep hillside into the lake and was drowned in the water. So it's interesting, though, the disciples were so afraid of drowning. Do you know what got sunk that day? It wasn't God's kids. It was the evil powers at work in their lives. The evil power at work in this one that Jesus was calling to be his kid. So see, a lot of times we avoid the hard people. A lot of times we avoid the hard places. And Jesus is like, I'm sending you there because no one else can touch it. No one else will. And that's where my glory is going to be revealed. Now, Jesus didn't go enable the guy. He didn't let the guy beat him up or his disciples. He didn't let the guy rob him of all of his money. Jesus didn't go keep buying him groceries while he, while he cheated on his wife and kids. Jesus didn't do any of that. Jesus looked at him and said, come out of him now. That's what he's like. I'm not saying we don't do those things, but there are, there are several people that I know, probably in this room, that we enable people. We love them and we want to help them. But we're like, why, why does this keep happening? Because I think we're, we're approaching it with physical means when there's spiritual stuff. And so it's interesting, there's four dimensions of Jesus' lordship seen here. We see the natural realm. Jesus controls the weather. We see, like in the human realm, where Jesus speaks to his disciples, their fear to this guy. We see the spiritual realm. This is the second exorcism in the book of Mark already. And then we see in the time realm that Jesus knew. See, because, and then, well, here, I'll, I'll go back to the time realm. It says, the herdsmen fled to a nearby town in the uh, surrounding countryside, spreading the news. They ran. People rushed out to see what happened. A crowd soon gathered around Jesus. They saw the man who'd been possessed by the legion of demons. He was sitting there, fully clothed, perfectly sane, and they were all afraid. Those who had seen what happened told the others about the demons possessed man and the pigs. The crowd began pleading with Jesus to go away and leave them alone. Listen, friends, there's going to be times where we go and the lights turn on for some people and for other people. They're like, get the heck out of here. We got to be okay with that. See, Jesus kind of broke into the time continuum. I believe Jesus knew. He said, go to the other side of the lake. He knew what he was doing. He knew that there was a Kairos time, that Jesus just knew in his knower that this guy's time was now. And some of us will look for demons under every rock and blame the devil every time we pass gas or sneeze or any time like a kitten gets stuck in a tree. No, that's crazy too. So we have to be able to discern what is, what's the move. But Jesus knew this time and time and time, and that's why prayer is so important, because when we learn to pray, we learn how to do this better and say, Spirit, where are you moving? Father, what are you doing? Jesus said, I only do what I see the Father doing. 
And the enemy, like I said, will often distract us and discourage us on our way to things God has called us to. What if the disciples just jumped out of the boat and turned around? What if Jesus just told them to do that because they got afraid? This guy, interestingly, was probably the first, the first missionary because Jesus went to foreign soil, basically Decapolis, and this guy says, Jesus, can I come with you? And Jesus says, no, go back to your people and tell them all the wonderful things God's done for you. See, Jesus didn't look at this guy and think, I'm staying away from him. Jesus was like, that's my guy. That's my girl. Jesus didn't care that he was cutting, that he was hurting, that he was howling. Like, this guy, this was like worst of the worst, okay? This wasn't like the Joe Burrow of the bunch, okay? This was like, this was the worst of the worst. And Jesus says, that's my guy. Because Jesus doesn't need Joe Burrows to win Super Bowls. He just needs people who will be activated in his power and watch what I can do. Uh, years ago, and I don't know if I told this story before, if I had, just humor me, but if I haven't. Years ago, it was Good Friday. And we're having a Good Friday, we're watching The Passion of the Christ and, uh, with a bunch of youth kids. And I get a tap on my shoulder and it's about 10 o'clock at night. I get a tap on my shoulder, this young, kind of 30-something-year-old uh, uh, Latina lady taps me on my shoulder and says, hey, are you one of the pastors here? I was like, yes, I am. And she's like, um, could you come talk to my friend? He's hearing voices. I'm like, okay, let's go talk to your friend. And this guy, you know, he's a good-looking, kind of middle-aged guy, but he's walking real, real, like, fast back and forth in the back of the youth building, real Frantic looking. You know, well-dressed, sharp-looking guy. Um, you know, kind of muscular. Just does, doesn't look like some, like, just junkie. You know, he's not, like, laying there looking like he could, like, hula hoop through a Cheerio. You know, he's a put-together guy. But I'm like, hey, let's go out, like, here in the lobby. And so in Kansas City, this church we were at had a main building, and, and this youth building, we had a lobby and I'm just asking the guy some qualifying questions, like asking if he's been drinking, if he's taken any drugs, because he's acting a little frantic. So sometimes you can't always tell. Sometimes it's physical, sometimes it's spiritual. And I get through all these questions. He's like, no, 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 don't drink, don't, don't do this, and don't do drugs. And starts talking about he's been hearing voices. And, and then I just get this sense. I'm like, I feel the Lord prompt me. Ask him if he believes Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. I ask him that question, and all of a sudden it's, no! And I'm like, you weren't ready for that, were you? I wasn't ready for that. And this guy starts shaking and convulsing. And, and like, he's just going nuts. And he's like, and like, I mean, it's freaking me out. I put my hands on his face real gently, and I said, there's not one of you, there's a bunch of you, aren't there? And literally, God is my witness, there's four other witnesses to this. The guy's eyes at that point in time went cataract, and his face started looking like an animal. And he looked at me when I said, there's not one of you, there's a bunch of you, and he goes, <laughs> and as pastorly as I could, I stepped back to his girlfriend, and I said, oh, bleep things are about to get messy. <laughs> and so I'm about, I step back to her, and he's about over there. I sat to her, and I see this guy 
big muscly lumbering guy running at me full speed looking like he's going to kill me. And I don't know what I did. Why I, I just was like, stop in the name of love. No, I just like, <laughs> I just looked at dude and I said, come out in Jesus' name. And like I said, there's four other witnesses' story. This guy got a foot and a half from my hand and blew into the wall. At that point in time, I'm an idiot. <laughs> the thought that went through my mind, I'm looking at my hand, looking at this guy, it's like, much have you to learn, Beelzebub? <laughs> like, that's like, exactly, exactly like in Yoda's voice. That was like the force. And this guy falls down into a chair, or kind of on a chair, and is like shaking, and rips his, through his shirt, and rips his flesh open, and just is shrilling. Like claws through his skin like Freddy Krueger. And you see stuff in this guy's stomach moving. You might think, like, I'm never coming to this church again. <laughs> this guy's crazy or he's full of it. There's other witnesses. And this guy was just uh, coming undone. And um, we prayed. And we prayed and we prayed and we prayed. About four in the morning, my wife still doesn't know where I am. Because she's trying to get a hold of me. My cell phone's in my jacket at my chair. I'm not at my chair. I'm, there's children inside. When, you know, Freddy Krueger, Jason, and, you know, Michael Myers and Satan all showed up in one person. And it was crazy, but um, and we're praying for this guy. And then at the very end, kind of like, what well, this is ending, we keep praying for this guy, he keeps throwing up the weirdest colored stuff you've ever seen, didn't look like throw up, but it's coming out of him, and all of a sudden I just get a word for this guy about something when he was four years old, and he couldn't protect his sister, and he wasn't protected either, and he's lived with this guilt, why that happened, and the guy just starts crying. This guy was like abused sexually when he was younger. Um, it kept happening, and he wanted to protect his sister, and the same person who did it to him hurt him very bad, and then he had to watch this man do terrible things to his baby sister. So he had been taken to priests, to pastors, like, like down in Mexico where he was from, his whole life, and he had been seen witch doctors. He had been to shrinks, and no one, this guy was a terror. At the time, he was 39 years old. Nothing could change his life. And at the very end, after we pray for him, and I'm like, dude, we are, we're baptizing you. I'm like getting in my underwear in this cold baptistry tonight, Holmes, and we're like getting you saved. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, this was too horrible. And, we're, and we baptize him and all this stuff. At the end, of it, he looks at me and goes, and he goes, you're Okay. Yeah, I'm okay, man. How are you feeling? Been a long night. He goes, I'm good. You're okay. Like, yeah, dude. Good. A little cold. But I'm okay. He goes, no, you're okay. And I'm like, what are you talking about? He said, the last thing I remembered is the voice in my head told me to murder the pastor. He said, I came up here to kill you. And you're okay. Last thing, like, I remember I was running at you. And you seem fine. Did I hurt you? I'm like, nope. 
See, Jesus knew what was happening long before I did. And he protected me. This guy in the natural probably could have killed me. He was a big, put-together guy. And then throw a legion of demons in him, like it would have been, like chains couldn't have held him. But Jesus did what no one else could do for this one guy. Jesus came across the lake for this guy. Jesus will come across the lake for you. Four years later, as we're getting ready to leave Kansas City, they're having a going away party for us and shows up. I, I told my wife about this guy and shows this good-looking, good-looking Hispanic couple and they come up to us and just like, the dude said, my whole life I've been tormented and the last four years are just, it's totally changed. Listen, I don't got any moves. But oh, if we're willing to plug in in the time, when the Lord's speaking, and he tells us to go, the people he tells us to go to, the places he tells us to go, how he wants us to do it, there's no limit to what he'll do with our lives. And our world needs people more than ever. It's filling up with evil that can't be matched. It's filling up with diseases, with brokenness, with fatherlessness, with motherlessness. I mean, it's filling up with stuff that none of us could comprehend. And the only answer is Jesus. And what I'd say to you today is Jesus wants to, maybe you're that person. You're like, I, I, I can't even imagine it. I'm, I'm the one everyone's trying to help. Things can change. Jesus wants to change your life today. Maybe you're the person I was talking about that's cutting. Maybe you're tormented in the night with your dreams. Prayer team, come on up. If someone wants to come play keys or strum some uh, chords or whatever. Um, Jesus did all this for one dude. You matter today. He'll do it for you. No matter where you are, where you've been, what you're going through. Maybe you've got a person who is crazy in your life and God's calling you to and you have no idea what to do. We want to pray for you today. See, the enemy's activity, he means to scare us off. It's where kairos can happen if we're willing to let it happen. If we look and say, Jesus, what are you doing in this storm? Jesus, what are you doing in my life? Jesus, what are you doing in my pain? What have you been doing in my very busted story? What have you been doing in my bad decisions? What have you been doing in other people's abuse of me? What are you doing? If we will tune in, the enemy has one message. Jesus has another story. And I believe fear just like the disciples, is the number one thing that can stop us or stop the people in that, like those 10 towns from doing anything significant. The capitalists, they, they were t they, these people were riddled with fear. Even when Jesus cast it out, they were still afraid. So we're just gonna pray. We're gonna pray, and we're gonna invite the Spirit to break some change. If you, if you need to go get kids, go get it. But if you're like saying, man, I need to get my kids, but I really need some prayer. If you know someone next to you, ask them to go get your kids or go get them and come back because we, we, we don't want to run out. This might take more than a couple minutes. But if you got to go, you got to go. But if you want some breakthrough today, we want that to happen for you because I, I believe that the, spirit of, that the power of the Lord is present to perform healing today as Luke 5.17 says. So if it's physical, spiritual, emotional, mental, familial, we want to pray for you today.
Father, will you come? Will you come and break through? Will you come and break out? Will you, will you bust through these uh, chains, these things that maybe that nothing can hold us anymore, Lord? Maybe we can't sleep anymore. Maybe we can't, we can't, this pain can't stop no matter the medicine we're getting. I believe there's like someone with uh, fibromyalgia maybe the Lord wants to touch today, if that's you. Maybe you just can't, no matter how much you chant the chants or sing the mantras or go to the shrink, you can't get over what's happened to you or in the world around you. Maybe you can't stop talking about politics and you're so afraid of how the world's blowing up. And it's just, you, you realize you become obsessed with it. I believe God wants to uh, minister to you today. Yeah, and, and if you're, um, Autumn just said, if, there, if there's someone, if maybe like you're paralyzed with fear. You're like, what is happening here? I want to leave, but I'm like stuck in my chair. Um, we want to pray for you today. You don't even have to get up. Or maybe if you just want prayer where you are, just slip your hand up. Prayer teams will come to you. We believe you make a way when, when no one else will, Lord. That song, when no one else can reach us, you find us. Lord, let us be a church that the kingdom of darkness takes seriously. That we're not unaware of the enemy's schemes. That we're not afraid to go into battle. That we're not caught off guard by the storms. That we're not afraid of the maniacs. We're not afraid of the powers that be that aren't doing enough or doing too much or whatever it is, Lord, or that we're just not people that are riddled with fear. Let us be people who run into the storms, who can sleep through them even, Lord, because you're with us. In Jesus' name, Father, amen. If you want prayer, we'd love to pray with you. Also, if you want to get, you know, if, if you don't know who Jesus is, come up, we'd love to pray with you too. We're baptizing people next week. It'd be great if you want to give your life to him and get baptized next week with us. Have a great week.